You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. I am delighted today to be joined by Susie Wolfson and Matt Timmons from PwC. Uh, We are going to be talking about changes in legislation that will aim to uh, increase employee engagement and transparency. Um, So firstly, Susie, Matt, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you. And... Perhaps we can start by, if you can introduce yourselves, give a bit of background as to your roles within PwC, and then we can get into what these changes are and go from there. Thank you, Wes. My name is Susie Wolfson, and I have spent nearly 32 years working at PwC, working solely with private businesses. I am an audit partner, and I've helped businesses grow from no turnover to very large families with succession issues. Fantastic. So, I'm Matthew Timmons. I'm a director in PwC's Entity Governance and Compliance Practice. I'm a Charter Secretary by trade and have been working quite closely with Susie and others across the business, working with the FRC and other third parties to help respond to some of these new changes around corporate governance. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So, I guess the best place to start is to talk about what we mean by governance. Um, It's a very broad subject and is often not termed as one of the most exciting, but if we can just give uh, the audience a flavour of what we mean by um, governance, then uh, we can get into the detail of these changes. Definitely, Russ. I suppose you rightly point out, corporate governance means different things for different people, but at the heart of it, it's around effective effective decision-making at board shareholder and senior management level. Uh It's about ensuring that companies have got the right controls and processes in place to manage and mitigate risk. So generally it's good business practice to to have those um, in place. But these changes are being driven by um, uh, some uh, rhetoric that came out from uh, the government around employee engagement and transparency. And am I right in thinking it was linked to what we've seen in the UK with BHS and Carillion um, collapsing? Well, I think there's been a trend for the last several years around increasing trust and transparency, and that's been driven at an international level um, through the OECD and sort of um, the, the G8 effectively. And the UK has been leading that that charge around greater sort of interest in terms of the way businesses are controlled and governed. There has been a much more keener interest here in the UK uh, around the way businesses interact with wider stakeholders. And we've seen that over the last 18 months through several pieces of regulation, through gender pay, modern slavery, prompt payment, etc., well, there is now a, a greater focus on how companies and their owners interact with the wider community. Fantastic. And these changes that are coming in, can you give us a feel for what they are, who it's going to impact, when it's going to impact them? Well, I suppose I, I can give you, there are four key areas of change and they impact different companies with, with different sizes. And there are financial thresholds. 
For the very, very large private businesses, they're going to have to adopt a new corporate governance code. Um, While they don't, they're going to have to explain why and what existing infrastructure is in place. For a large population of entities, they're going to have to report on how their directors actively consider and apply their duties, and in addition report on how they identify and interact with their stakeholders, and increasingly now, how their employees uh, factor into that decision-making process. Okay, great. And obviously we've... um we, we are the Family Business um, Podcast, and a lot of the work that we do with um, families is around engagement on values and exactly the kind of thing that it seems this legislation is trying to, to impact. So, um, Susie, perhaps you can give us a feel uh, in terms of uh, your work with family firms, how aligned family businesses are at the moment to these types of changes. I think they actually family businesses are actually aligned it's just they're not aligned in the way the legislation is set out so so I think if you look at family businesses they have a culture and a tone set from the top they have a purpose and from that purpose they create a vision a strategy and a lot of objectives which creates trust and transparency they do it in their own way it may be they sit around a kitchen table it may be for a small family business um, the whole business, including the employees, can, can sit outside and, and, and discuss. So these things do exist. It's about how do we formalise them so that they, we can help them get the evidence that they are actually doing it. Uh-huh. And the changes that are coming in are going to force this upon certain businesses. And as the, Matt mentioned, the um, criteria for those, that perhaps if we can break down what those are so that the... Um, our listeners can see whether they're going to be directly impacted or um, by uh, by proxy. Yes, and I think very simply um, for the we can split it two ways, but predominantly it's what the companies that were called larger businesses, and those are businesses with a turnover of thirty two million, with um, a total assets of eighteen million, um, and two hundred and fifty employees. Mm-hmm. And that that is will they'll be impacted by um, stakeholder engagement. And then those businesses that just have 250 employees will also have to look at employee engagement. And we say just look at, actually, that's quite a big task to work out who your stakeholders are and what you're actually doing, and then equally what with your employees. And the other thing you also need to think about within that is what is your director's duties and and how are you actually... um, taking those seriously and actually evidencing what you're actually doing. Uh-huh. And I know um, this morning you uh, have both been involved in a seminar where you've been discussing this with an audience. How has it gone down with them? Are they surprised by what's needed? Are they prepared? Uh, are they not? I suppose actually I think what we took away is that it's, it's a mixed response in the sense of some companies have started to look at this in more detail than others. Today was the actual start of that process. Right. Um, and what we're saying is actually start looking at your group structure now, undertake an impact assessment, look at which of the entities meet the different thresholds, um, and start to think about what you currently do and what you're going to have to do from next year um, onwards. And it's 1st of January, is that right? 2019 for accounting periods on or after. So you won't actually report until 31st of December 
2019 account, okay. but you need to start gathering the yeah. data and starting to think about it. And actually, one of the things we were discussing this morning, and certainly for family businesses, where you sit around a kitchen table and discuss what's happened in the week, actually you need to formalise it. So mm. that would in effect be a board meeting, but there would be no evidence. Actually, you need some evidence now that you've actually had it. So, so again... Okay you cannot retrospectively create it because you won't remember what you said on the yes. 1st of January as you yeah. pulled the last of the crackers or ate yeah. the last of the... We all agreed. <laughs> we all agree with Dad. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and in terms of some of the other specific things that businesses are going to have to change, if they fit into that bracket, which is going to be an awful lot of firms that, that will fit into that bracket, what are they going to need to do differently now compared to, or from January, compared to what they're doing now? Well, I suppose, as Susie said, first of all, is if, if they're having board meetings, start having those board meetings. But behind that's going to be actually how are you going to sort of put the infrastructure in place? Um, for example, in terms of reference, um, where you've got uh, family businesses that have got independence between the, the owners and the board. What matters are being reserved for the owners of that business and what matters need to be kept at a board level? Mm-hmm. We look at your governance documents like your family constitutions um, or your articles, of, uh, your articles of association. They're going to be critical to have the evidence that you've thought through these changes and that you're actively responding to them. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the documentation of it needs to be in an official sense, i.e. it's going to be a part of a report to auditors or is it to how's it going to be presented because i can imagine as often with with legislation is that there is a a lack of awareness around it until potentially too late so if people are going to get to say march or april next year and think should have been doing this is it a physical thing they need to prepare well again both these um for both stakeholder engagement employee engagement and the director's responsibilities they'll be split between the strategic report and the director's report Mm -hmm. those aren't audited per se by auditors but actually what auditors do do is do a comparison of what's written in there and actually what they know exists right so again there will need to be something okay that helps provide the evidence that if they say they've had 12 board meetings there is something that Mm -hmm. shows that they have had 12 board meetings yeah so, okay. so I think it's about starting to think about how do you formalise some of these mm-hmm. things. And, but actually, more importantly, how do you embed, again, that culture that already exists in the organisation to provide the evidence? Mm-hmm. And that can be um, apparent amongst the family who are involved in, in the family business, but not necessarily filtered down throughout the entire um, workforce and, and stakeholder group. So what can businesses be doing to try and improve that side of things if it's not something they're doing currently? I think first of all, they'll have to identify who their stakeholders are. Mm -hmm. I mean, interesting, this morning, somebody asked the question, is the regulator a stakeholder? And and that actually provided some some thought and debate um, from the FRC um, and from the panel. Um, What we also heard was was, was quite some interesting examples of how you got um, junior board members. So these are sort of junior members of the workforce who come to the board meetings. They're not members of the board, but they're invited to attend to see how the board works. Yeah. You've got to meet the CFO day. So there are different ways in which businesses are creatively thinking about that interaction. Um, I know, Susie, you've got this great example. Um, oh, yes. Of, 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 uh, <laughs> sorry, we've got a bit short, Brad, but in, in Scotland, um, an oil company who wanted to start working out how do they get better engagement with employees. So they basically took one wall and, and marker pens and said to every employee, write the one word that means 
how you engage with our business. Wow. And what they did after was basically create a, a sort of poster that now sits on the boardroom wall and people feel they, they've put their word on there. They've now created objectives and vision from it and, and that is the way they've engaged. Fantastic. Again, another quite good way to look at it is, you know, if you look at, again, not the right size, but it's the same principle, John Lewis Partnership, who is has employee interaction again, They've started committees, they have works councils. There's, there's lots of ways you can do it. And, and I think it's not about inventing something that fits someone else. It's about what fits your culture, your organisation and your local employee workforce. Because I think it will be different and yeah. unique for each and every one. And as well as the, it being a requirement of, of what we're talking about yeah. with, with terms Companies of legislation, yes. it, it's also good practice it's also going to have benefits to the business having engaged employees and stakeholders should only be a positive thing shouldn't it yeah absolutely and i think what came through today was an acknowledgement from those that attended that this is good for business at the same time mm -hmm. this will help with the brand it will help with the reputation it will help even on exit um, you know, where you've got a very governed, well-oiled business, mm -hmm. it's going to be attractive for buyers. Mm. Um, or even families where they want succession. And, yeah. the only, and again, I'm working with a couple of families when we're looking at succession of those families in the business and those family members outside the business. And actually, if you don't have a proper succession plan, you can't, that culture and those the values that you want to be passed down, if you don't explain it and you mm. die, there's no hope of it carrying on. So again, I think the governance framework allows you to be able to put that in place mm -hmm. so that it helps the longevity of the business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree that the the more um, communication that there is around things like succession uh, and the earlier, the, the better. Um, we were mentioning um, off-air, if that's the right term, um, around the... This obviously affects businesses of, of certain size and certain criteria. But we see in particular in technology and in automotive technology, things uh, that appear in Formula One cars, then appear in top of the range cars, and then it trickles down into general production models as well. In terms of best practice to be adopted by any and all family businesses, again, this is generally sensible thinking, isn't it? It's, it's not doing anything that's asking too much of a business to... Um, be able to articulate what it is that, that's being asked of them. No, I, I think it goes back to when we when we start with an entrepreneur with an idea. You know, what's your purpose? What's your vision? What's your strategy? What's your objectives? And how are you going to implement it? And what? And and actually start with the right system before you've even you know sold something. So again, absolutely, I think it is definitely good practice to start your business and, and as it grows with, with the right control, with the right governance, with the and with, with the right sort of structure around you to make sure you will survive. Mm. Why would you get to, when we do work with some businesses that get to 300 million and realise they don't have a proper system and you're basically taking the sticky plaster off and, and working backwards. But as eggs be eggs, there will have been some leakage somewhere mm -hmm. because without that proper robustness, it's, it is difficult and you won't get it right. And and the other thing to think about, which you definitely see in some smaller businesses, is, you know, do you have an independent non-executive? Uh -huh. Do you have somebody challenging you on what your focus is? Yeah. Are you keep, keeping to your knitting? So, again, I wouldn't expect that just in the very large businesses. You know, we'd expect it in some of the smaller ones that are going to grow, that are going to need some help. Mm. And we often come across a challenge from family business owners that governance becomes a break on their behavior 
all of a sudden someone's going to come in and introduce this process that means I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do anymore. Whereas I think we've mentioned that on previous shows, it can be an enabler. It can be the framework and it can be the platform from which the business can move on to that next level and can help to um, make succession a slightly easier process. Is that something you see in your day-to-day as well? Because obviously you're working with lots of different types of businesses. Yeah. A business that I work with, they're family-owned, they have a very clear constitution as to which parts of the family will be involved in each part of the business and how that decision-making takes place. And what that does is it reduces tension and actually helps facilitate sort of making key sort of sort of movements around the business. Mm-hmm. And I think equally in slightly smaller businesses, having a constitution or having a framework or, or having some rules in inverted commas that help govern the way the business is run means... If you do have a family member who isn't quite right, then then you have a set of rules that say you can only come in if you've got the right skill. Mm-hmm. And again, as you say, Matt, it stops that conflict. So I think actually in the long run, it it creates more successful business. It, it will be painful for, mm-hmm. for some family members who think they can go on forever. And, and actually, you know, that sticky baton being passed from father to son is always, it was always quite difficult. We've had yeah. lots of those discussions. But actually, if you have a set of rules it's much easier to, to help with that transition. Mm. And would using the, the um, legislation be a good starting point for, even if businesses aren't directly affected by it, if, it, if it's not in, in their, the, the criteria, using it as a guideline to say, well, okay, this is what, when we get to this size, we're going to need to be doing. Let's use this as the framework to, to go forward. Or, or should they start smaller and just say, well, let's at least just, formalise our board meetings as a starting point? Well, I think that's quite interesting because if you look at the weights principles, now this is a voluntary sort of code designed for private business uh, and it's designed to cover a broad church of private business. And whilst it's, it's, it's focused on the very large companies that have to comply with their code, it equally has a lot of flexibility for those that are starting at the smaller end and then will grow. And there is an expectation, actually, that smaller private businesses will look to this code um, and evolve their corporate governance as they expand. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we've we got the, the list of the, the weights um, principles um, here. I had to print them out because I couldn't remember them um, off the top of my head. I won't go into to massive detail with them, but I think they're very interesting. Um, and as you say, they, they will uh, they are voluntary or they will be voluntary when, when they... They are voluntary. They are voluntary. Um, but equally, family businesses can look to other codes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is an alliance um, covering a, a number of sectors and, and, and industries okay. um, that has input into these principles to make sure they are relevant, mm-hmm. in particular for sort of family business. Yeah. So if we pick um, some of that, principle one is purpose. So an effective board promotes the purpose of a company and ensures its values, strategies and culture. Again, that aligns brilliantly with, with family business. You've got um, board composition as principle two to make sure there's diversity on the board. Again, I think we'd agree that that's generally uh, important and I think in that and it may be in a later one but also the effectiveness of the board yes so again you know we talk about with our clients about actually they probably need some training mm-hmm. and we probably see far too often with family businesses that no one does any 
development mm. and actually that'd be quite crucial to that bit and I think it'd be helpful for everybody. I agree and the, the composition of the board I think is a fascinating subject because d depending on what um, stage the business is at the board composition can be predominantly dad focused yeah. and maybe some of his older advisors who are grateful to the fact that they're working and aren't really going to challenge any of the assumptions or, or decisions that are being made so it's almost like a rubber stamp board where everything goes that way you've then got the, the stage where kids get involved in the board and again is that really effective if it doesn't have somebody independent um, sat on it so considering um, board structure is is sensible at an early stage mm. so that you don't start mm. to make mistakes that perhaps will come back and bite you later on and having enough flexibility in your constitution or your articles of association or your rules that say when you get to this point you need to start thinking about x y and z i, I just mm -hmm. think it's helpful yeah um, so that's principle two is, is, is board composition and principle three is responsibilities so understanding accountability um, in terms of reference to the board again sensible and yep. um, principle four is opportunity and risk we often hear that um, private or family owned um, businesses tend to take a longer term view so managing risk is, is not quite so um, uh, looking to take as much risk as perhaps um, publicly owned uh, companies. So again, that aligns quite nicely with uh, with family business. Remuneration structure, uh, I think we'll come on to that in, in a minute in terms of the remuneration structure because uh, let's cover it now. Am I right in thinking that businesses of certain sizes now have to produce um, pay ratios and um, other elements relating to remuneration in the new legislation? Well, that's only relevant for those that are quoted companies. Right, so that's um, the big But there is an expectation when you look at this principle is for private business to start looking at remuneration and mm -hmm. executive pay. And what was clear from the panel this morning was it, it goes beyond just looking at who gets paid what and why, but actually it's about attracting talent into your business. Mm -hmm. uh, and it goes to the point around employee engagement and, and engaging in that wider stakeholder base as well. Mm. And I guess in family firms as well, it also helps to assist with that transparency issue mm. that if there are family members working within the business and everybody's transparent about what they're doing and what their responsibilities are and what they're earning for that, then it starts to remove some of those um, perhaps perceptions of you're only there because you've got the same surname yeah. or... Yeah. And the tensions as well. Yeah. I think it's also placing that in, in the context that we all already have gender pay reporting yes. for certain sizes yes. as well, which again complement the thresholds that we're looking at. So, mm -hmm. Great stuff. And the last one, which is something that we, we've spoken about already, is the um, principle six, which is stakeholders, which is the responsibility of the board to oversee meaningful engagement with material stakeholders. So again, the tip to businesses here is to understand who the material stakeholders are so that they are recognising them as a, as a starting point, but perhaps engaging with them um, as, as part of best practice anyway. And then thinking probably on a monthly basis, well, these are our stakeholders. And again, it's the evidence. What have we actually done? Where have we interacted with them? And that needs to be constant rather mm. than you write your list of stakeholders, stick it in a drawer and take it out as the auditor appears. Yeah, I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, it so it is a, it, it, you need to embed it. Mm -hmm. Because again, I think, you know, if you look at those businesses that do it successfully, you know, it, it does create a better interaction. It creates a better relationship. Therefore, you get more work in it. And it's that, you know, moving the circle in the right direction. Mm. So on a day-to-day -day basis, as, as 
say there's a, a family who have, have sat around the, um, the kitchen table and, and had a board meeting, as can typically happen, and a strategic decision has been made at that meeting. To document that, do you then need to communicate that to stakeholders? And, and where does it? Where do you draw the line in terms of, say, market-sensitive information that, you know, you, you don't want to be overly transparent in case it starts mm -hmm. to jeopardise things. But presumably, is, is there a line, or is there not a line, and people have to use their judgment? Well, suppose, let me give you an example. So you would have a business where there are three or four operating entities, and to help reduce costs, to simplify the way that business is run, you want to consolidate those into one entity. You may actually just have one big contract mm -hmm. overall, but you may have a supply chain of multiple contracts and multiple engagements that support that one big contract. As a board, what this is now driving you to think about is, okay, well, what's the impact on that, on that sort of one big contract that we support? Mm -hmm. How is that operational change going to support? Have we con consulted or informed them? What's the impact on our supply chain in terms of the commercials and the contracting? And also, as we bring those businesses all together, what about the employees? So what the reporting is trying to do is, take, is, is make the directors and the senior management take a step back and think carefully about the impact. Mm -hmm. You can still go ahead and make those choices. Yeah but it's making sure you've got a proper process to think about that. Equally, it's documented. And then you've then got to think about, well, how are you going to report on that the year after, mm -hmm. both through your annual accounts, but also on your website. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing um, as well, we'll perhaps see more of this next year as the changes um, start to, to take effect. It's a good opportunity to, to spot where there might be weaknesses in process around that exact type of thing because if it's something where typically the strategic decision is just taken at board level and that's it and then there's no engagement beyond that and actually there's value in doing that it highlights that and can you know almost become a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that it, it helps again improve that overall engagement yeah and i think the interesting thing on on most decisions that businesses make when they're made in a vacuum, you you probably haven't been challenged enough. And actually, if you start to talk about it with others, you may find there's more opportunity or there's a better business you could do some, take give that contract to. So actually, I think people are afraid of the challenge, but I think if you communicate it, and certainly I find myself, I'm chair of governors of a very large school, and, and you know, for a while, um, my head retired, was retiring, and I had to make the decisions about appointment. And actually, for a while, I sat in a closet doing it myself. And actually, when I was brave enough to ask others their views, it was amazing what mm -hmm. information I got and how much more comfortable I felt because it was because I'd engaged lots of other people. Yeah. So I actually think that engagement with others and the challenge will only create a better business environment. Mm. And do you think, and you may see it in your day-to-day -day work, the traditional view of the board has all the answers therefore they're the right people to make the decisions T to me there seems to be a shift towards the board of the people that know the right questions to ask in order to get the answers to be able to make those decisions so again when we look at board composition it's having the right people on your board to be able to ask those questions and that might involve non-family it might involve people who are um, not linked to the business at all, or it could be people that are within the business. But there does seem to be this shift away from we make the decisions, therefore we're always right, to let's see what you guys think. 
not perhaps as relaxed as that, but, no, but maybe but, in some cases it is. But actually, as Matt talked about some of the employee engagement on this morning, um, this lady talked about they have CFO breakfasts where the employees come in and talk about some of the issues that they've seen in the business and, and their employees from diff, different strands of the mm. business, from making the product to selling it. And then what they do after that is have a sort of workers' council where they work out, well, how do we change it? So I think... The board needs to ask the difficult questions, but they've also got to be brave enough to look for the person with the right answer, mm-hmm. who may not be a board member, who may actually be the cashier sitting at the particular till in that particular store where they've got the most amount of fraud. I mean, so yeah. so again, I think it's being brave enough to get the right person to engage with. Mm-hmm. But Susie, also I think it's about equipping your senior yeah. management, <laughs> making them understand how your duties apply and what you need to comply with Mm -hmm. because it's critical that directors and their collective boards have proper support at a senior management level that they're given the right management information the right assessment of risk because as a director you can't be everything to everybody Mm -hmm. you can't be over everything either so it's about delegating that properly to the right people okay fantastic and with the new um, reporting requirements how are they then um, policed is probably the wrong word, but rather than it being, you know, we're reporting into a black hole where nothing happens, presumably there's a there's a reason behind this that there would then be consequences for not doing it. Where does that start to, to come in? Well, I suppose there are still some unknowns, but what we do know is that the FRC, which is the Financial Reporting Council, is itself, its powers are under review. <clears throat> it's felt very much that they should play a prominent role in reviewing um, the, the new reporting obligations mm-hmm. and how businesses are responding uh, and potentially have some forms of powers of sanction against directors and their boards um, for not sort of complying. What we have here is both employee and stakeholder engagement now firmly in the legislation in the Companies Act. Mm-hmm. So it imposes great responsibilities and obligations on directors, so personal liability kicks in. Right. And there is now the potential for broader litigation because what you have now is a broader population of people uh-huh. that boards have to think about and that opens itself naturally to people being able to challenge that. Yeah. And again, would that be something that is generally available? So if somebody is working within an organisation and goes, actually, I don't think these guys are doing doing the right thing with this business, they can challenge directly or do we need to wait for something to go wrong uh, as we did in cases like BHS and Carillion? Um, I think at the moment there aren't any formal protocols that will allow a stakeholder to currently litigate against mm. the directors, but that's notwithstanding that there's, that possibly can happen. Yeah. Um, what the government is looking at is looking at a next phase of consultation around insolvency and corporate governance. Mm-hmm. And as Susie pointed out, what that could lead to is mandatory director training and board evaluations. Mm-hmm. Um, and also looking at the actions of sort of parent company boards, um, sort of pre and post the sale of a business, right? Um, to make sure that the right DD is being undertaken and the right consultations are happening. Uh-huh. And if they're not happening and didn't happen, then there could be retrospective action uh-huh. against the board by insolvency practitioners. Right. Okay. And actually, I think it, what it links back down to is reputation. Yeah. So actually, with social media and, and the way the world has moved on, certainly since I started at Cooper's and Library 32 years ago, when there weren't any computers or mobile phones, <laughs> actually, within a second, you just need an aggravated stakeholder to yes. put something on Twitter. And before you know it, two million people 
will know or not know whether it's true or not. So yes. again, I think this all comes back to directors' responsibilities and actually the impact that their actions have on the reputation of the business. Mm -hmm. And it's likely that um, businesses of, of a certain size will be doing a vast majority of this, perhaps not as formalised as possible. Where do you see, again, you're, you're fresh from the, the seminar this morning, where was the biggest area of concern for people? They're going, oh, I didn't realise that was coming in or... I didn't realise I was going to have to do that bit. I think it's it's a mixed bag, Susie, yeah. um, from what we heard. But I, I think where businesses may struggle is the stakeholder engagement. Mm. It's about identifying who their stakeholders are and how they put that into practice. Um, I, th I think this morning showed that there are lots of great examples out there of directors doing the right thing. Mm -hmm having board meetings, um, having key governance documents in place, but equally there are sort of areas for improvement across the board. Mm -hmm. And so as a starting point in terms of trying to understand these new requirements, where would you suggest businesses look or start? Well, I think number one is do an impact assessment. If, if, if you've got a, a group of companies, it's looking at those companies within your group and seeing which companies meet the thresholds. Number two is do a gap analysis and look at what you currently have to report. Mm -hmm. It's very likely that if you're caught by if you're caught by these thresholds, you'll all, you will already be reporting on the likes of modern slavery, prompt payment, etc., which all feeds into stakeholder engagement. Look at what you currently do. Look at what you could, what will have to report on, and then that will show you the key actions mm -hmm. which you'll then have to undertake over the next sort of eight to twelve months. Yep. Okay, and we've already mentioned that the legislation is effective from the 1st of January. We are discussing this in towards the, the latter stages 100 of... 100 shopping days till Christmas, so you know it's not... Oh, oh goodness, <laughs> wow, okay. Um, so yes, we, we're talking about this in, in towards the end of September. What, what I don't want is for our listeners to, to stop listening to this and, and run around in a blind panic and think, oh, well, I haven't got any time. Um, yeah, presumably, is this something that is... It's not going to be strict, as in, as of first of January, you have to do. No, because you, you've got a year, so yeah. you don't report till the end of. If your accounting period starts on the first of January, you don't report to the thirty first mm -hmm. of December the following year. So I think it's about just starting to think about it and yeah. think about who are the key people in the organisation who are going to take responsibility, because I don't think it'll just be. And most family businesses don't have an acting company secretary; they mm -hmm. normally outsource that to accountancy firms, so who in the business, both in the operating bit of the business and some of the back office of the business, is the right person to help have a sort of little working party and embed it? That's the start. Mm -hmm. um, and as I say, as we've both said, Matt and I, we think lots of private businesses will already be doing this. It's just about helping them to gather it and work out where that gap is. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And uh, in terms of... Um, perhaps a, a tip you would give to family businesses who might be considering this. Um, would it be stakeholder engagement or would it be sit in a dark room for five minutes uh, <laughs> and, and, cry. Then, no. and then look it up or, or how, how should they be approaching this? Glass of wine in hand? <laughs> <laughs> or two. Or I two, suppose yeah. not shy away from the inevitable. Mm -hmm. This is coming in. It is new regulation. Uh, and it will apply to them. Uh, and we've heard some comments today f from clients accepting that. I think 12 months ago, 
when these were just mere consultation reforms, there was lots of resistance and lots of shaking heads. Well, actually, now there's lots of nodding and accepting this is <laughs> yeah. now in. Um, and I think the point is that both Susan and I both raised in terms of just sort of understanding, does it apply to you? And looking for good examples of, of, of how you can start bringing that into practice. Mm. And there's help out there, isn't there? I mean, PwC, for example. We are more than happy to chat to anybody, okay, and, and just make them, help them on the journey. Because I think it's like anything, isn't it? It's a bit like when you start to ride a bike, you know, you've got the stabilizers on and you think, oh my God, I'll never be able to do it. Uh-huh. And it is a bit like this. I think once you start, once once family businesses in particular start writing down and, or brainstorming what they already do, you know, you start with a flip chart, it'll be quite easily filled and then uh-huh. it's about filtering it and focusing. So, so I think it isn't as frightening as you think, but I, but I think Matt's point is really valid. It's here to stay and it'll only get yeah. more onerous. So start somewhere. So head in the sand is not the best approach. I, I don't think so because, <laughs> because at some stage someone will be monitoring it. Yeah. And actually, if we all look forward, and I have three children in and coming out of university, for, for employee engagement and to get the next generation of people working in your businesses, they want something different. They want to know how you're engaging with your stakeholders, uh-huh. what your what your policy is on on plastic recycling, or you know what your employee engagement is. So actually, I think to to even stand still, you need to start thinking about it. Yeah, I think in in terms of particular some of the things that we've seen in in the principles that, that we discussed earlier. It, it can be an empowering exercise to, to start writing this down and, and doing it because family businesses are built on those values and that purpose and to to properly document it and go, okay, this is why we're doing what we're doing can be really empowering for the um, families involved and the, the employees that perhaps aren't um, family. Absolutely, and, and I, I did a similar exercise, not for this regulation, but for a particular family. And I think what we found was that actually everybody agreed with each other. It's just they hadn't communicated it in the right way. So when we sat down and talked to all the different stakeholders and employees, it was amazing how much commonality we had mm-hmm. and how we only need to do a little bit of tweaking. Mm-hmm. So so I think it is start somewhere. Yeah, fantastic. And I was explaining again off air, this is certainly not my area of expertise. Is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't asked you that you think our audience um, needs to know? I think this has been a very comprehensive discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think key is the legislation is there. Let's go for it. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And where can our audience find out a little bit more about you and um, this this legislation? At pwc.com. Fantastic. And we will put links in the show notes that will highlight uh, links to, um, I think you're putting some of this stuff on specific pages. So we will link that up um, on the show notes. Um, and, and, and you can always follow us on Twitter because yes. we're active on corporate governance on Twitter. Matt, we are we? indeed. <laughs> Fantastic. Again, we'll link that all up in the show notes if you're happy for us Absolutely. to do so. Um, but Susie, Matt, both, thank you very much indeed for your time and uh, look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fanbizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.